This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com WSJ. I'm Joanne Lublin, the management news editor for The Wall Street Journal. Several of the women who I interviewed had been sexually harassed early in their careers. When they got into positions of power and younger women came to them and complained about being sexually harassed, they not only took steps to eradicate the problem, but in some cases they went beyond whatever the corporate policy was. Women who have gotten into senior level positions, I believe, are paying it forward. And we all have a moral and professional obligation, men and women alike, to pay it forward because people did that for us. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Welcome to the Wall Street Journal's Secrets of Wealthy Women podcast, a look at powerful female leaders and the secrets to their success. I'm Anne-Marie Fertoli, filling in for Veronica Dagger. On this special episode, we'll be talking about sexual harassment in the workplace and the Me Too movement. Joining me in our studio is Joanne Lublin, management news editor for The Wall Street Journal and author of the book Earning It, Hard-Won Lessons from Trailblazing Women at the Top of the Business World. She also writes the journal's regular advice column, Your Executive Career. Joanne, we're in a time where almost every day new sexual harassment or assault allegations are coming to light. And I think for many women... It isn't surprising that this is happening because it is so pervasive. But what is different right now is how this conversation is finally coming out of the dark. Well, that's what's so startling, the Me Too movement, the fact that it's okay now to publicly blame and shame men who have been harassing women. That is a stark contrast from what we've seen in years past. And I want to talk about the numbers in your most recent column about just how pervasive this is. And it's not just something that's anecdotal. It's happening to women at every career level, in every industry, all the way to female executives and managers. Yes, there's a very, very interesting large-scale study that the American Management Association conducted in December. And they covered professionals, managers, and executives, men and women alike. And 51% of those women said that they had been sexually harassed in the workplace. And your column also includes research on some of those major reasons that women don't want to come forward. And still a big one here is fear of retribution. Well, it's not just the fear of retribution. Obviously, that's a very big, big fear. But some of it also is the fear that they will then be somehow labeled as a troublemaker, And even if they sign a confidential settlement with their employer, that somehow the word will get out that they raised this issue and maybe it will be, you know, a detriment to them. And the column pointed out that even women who have signed confidential agreements have trouble getting jobs again after reporting sexual harassment. I do want to get to the women you spoke to who did experience that But the stakes are still high, even though the Me Too movement has created this new sort of openness. Can you talk about the positive effects that has had so far? Well, I think the biggest positive effect is that it's given women courage to speak up. 
One of the women I interviewed for the column, who I did not end up quoting, had already been quoted on the record in another colleague's story about the ad agency where she had previously worked and and where, you know, one of her former colleagues there, a higher-ranking executive, handed her the key to his hotel room at one point in her career. And she told me that she decided to go public and disclose her name to my colleague because of the Me Too movement. So we are definitely seeing a difference in willingness for women to come forward who maybe a few years ago in a different climate may not have done so. But the problem is, as I pointed out in my column, even given this greater tolerance and understanding and kind of watershed moment that we're in, the career consequences remain steep for many women who do decide to complain about sexual harassment. Joanne, you've been covering workplace issues for much of your career. What can you say about how the atmosphere has changed for women who want to come forward despite the fact that those repercussions, especially for career and in life in general, still exist? Well, I think in general, things are a bit better for women in the workplace, whether there do remain obstacles or dangers to outing a sexual harassment. And I think the main reason for the fact that things are better for women overall in the workplace is that there are more women in senior management. Several of the women who I interviewed for my book, and I interviewed 52 high-ranking corporate executives, had been sexually harassed early in their careers and either didn't report it or when they did, nothing happened. When they got into positions of power and younger women came to them and complained about being sexually harassed, they not only took steps to eradicate the problem, but in some cases they went beyond whatever the corporate policy was. So it seems that there is a growing camaraderie personally and professionally for women who are ascending to high levels in their careers helping younger women. I think that's absolutely the case. And in fact, I have a name for it. I call it, since the book is called Earning It, women who have gotten into senior level positions, I believe, are returning it. Sort of like paying it forward. Like paying it forward. And we all have a moral and professional obligation, men and women alike, to pay it forward because people did that for us. This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day, but what policy changes should investors be watching? Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab that unpacks the stories making news in Washington and how they may affect your finances and portfolio. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise. The Future of Everything podcast from The Wall Street Journal. Another new episode is coming soon. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal. Joanne, we've been talking about the positive aspects of the Me Too movement, but in your piece for The Wall Street Journal, it's titled When Me Too Becomes Catch-22, You spoke to women who are still unfortunately facing severe consequences for coming forward. That's right. And partly that's because they have gotten a confidential agreement that isn't always lived up to by the former employer. I cited one example where a woman got such an agreement from a hotel where she'd been sexually harassed by the general manager 
and she wasn't getting anywhere in trying to get another position as a sales and marketing director for another hotel. And so she hired a reference checking firm to call this former boss of hers, and he gave her a negative recommendation, even though he had signed you know, this agreement that they would give her a positive recommendation. Wow, so he wasn't living up to his end of the deal that they had agreed upon. Correct. And so she got a lawyer to threaten litigation. And at that point, the HR people at the hotel wrote her a very glowing letter, and she got another job within 30 days. But that's a lot of work to have to go through to figure out what what the barrier is and then to find out that it goes back to the original incident. Exactly. And so when a similar situation happened to her five years later at a different hotel, She was again in the same position of being sales and marketing director. Hotel gets a new general manager. This time around, she decides to not go for a confidential settlement. Instead, she waited till she lined up a job in a different industry, and then she went in and quit. I also want to ask you something we've seen coming out of Me Too is some women breaking the silence requirement of their nondisclosure agreements. What are the repercussions for women who do that and decide to come forward? There have been some cases like that, but not very many. A former executive assistant of Harvey Weinstein in the UK broke her confidential settlement to, in other words, air her dirty linen about him. The risk, of course, is that you could be forced to pay back whatever monetary settlement you were given to leave the company as a redress for how you were harassed. And do we see those same repercussions for the people who have been accused of sexual assault or harassment? That's another excellent question. I asked a number of these women who I interviewed for the column, what happened to the alleged harasser? In some cases, the alleged harasser was moved to a different role at the same employer. In other cases, he left that employer and went on to work somewhere else. And we have no idea as to whether the new employer ever was informed as to what happened at that prior employer. So we are seeing reshuffling happen sometimes at the same company where the sexual assault or or abuse occurred. Unfortunately, that's the case. I only have, of course, a limited set of data here to speak from, but that does seem to be the pattern. I'm curious what experts have advised as the best way forward for women who have been sexually assaulted or harassed, given that it is still risky for them to come forward. Well, I think for all the drawbacks to negotiating a confidential settlement, it's still women's best weapon that they have because as part of that confidential settlement, a savvy attorney will ask for whatever it is they need to kind of get their self-esteem, their self-confidence, and their mojo back. And that may mean not just money. It could be outplacement counseling. It could be career coaching. Some of these women are psychologically battered, and they have to go through months, if not years, of psychological counseling. And at the same time, there are some lawyers who not only insist on a positive reference, but the lawyers for the harassment victim write the reference, and then they choose who will speak on her behalf. I wonder how some of the women you spoke to who have gone this route feel about not disclosing what has happened. Is there sort of a pressure to do that now because of Me Too? Or maybe even some women are feeling empowered and that is part of the healing process to go public and and let this be aired out. I think for the most part, women are still reluctant to 
be public about what happened to them. I mean, even if you look at some of the Me Too postings, they don't always name the company. They rarely name the harasser. I actually reached out to one such woman who had posted and, you know, tried to get her to to talk to me even anonymously about, you know, what had happened to her and the company where this had occurred. She didn't want to do it. So there's still a lot of trepidation, even if there is that urge to come forward and reveal some things or be part of a movement where you're getting support from sometimes people you don't even know on Twitter or social media. Right. And the risk here, of course, is the next would-be employer, if they know you're someone who, quote unquote, was a troublemaker at the last company, and they don't know the facts, are you going to come in here and if somebody touches you on the back, you know, raise sexual harassment claims that are un substantiated. And that brings me to our question about how men are reacting to the Me Too movement. You actually found, and there have been some reports that have cited anecdotally, that men are now becoming more reluctant to sponsor or mentor their female colleagues because they're concerned increasingly about how their behavior might be misconstrued. And you can understand how they would perceive that, given the number of high-powered men who have toppled from pretty important and influential positions in countless industries over the last few months. But I also fear that this overreaction could have a very detrimental effect on women's advancement. I talk a lot in my book about the importance not just of having mentors, but having sponsors. And at the end of the day, Since men still dominate senior management, you need to have many male sponsors and many male mentors. And if men are going to be reluctant to be a sponsor or a mentor for a woman, women's careers are going to suffer further. So as with most things, bottom line, there are positives and negatives that we're already seeing to the Me Too movement. If you could predict, look a little bit into the future, where do you see this movement going? Well, I think hopefully we're going to see some of the reforms and changes that are badly needed be institutionalized and incorporated into how companies operate. And so that means at the end of the day, how people get paid has to be connected not just to whether they have produced good profits for their business unit, but whether they are actually upholding the corporate culture and the values that the company espouses. And if one of those values is that we will treat people decently, men and women alike, then your pay should suffer if you have either had numerous incidents or complaints among people who report to you or even that involve you. And there has to be career consequences for not only misbehavior, but for overlooking others' misbehavior who you're responsible for. And career consequences aside from being moved to a different department or a different role. And some of those consequences should be compensation-related. You know, if you yourself are not conducting offensive behavior but are looking the other way for people who report to you, there have got to be both career and compensation consequences. And only then will this Me Too movement actually become part of the fabric of working life. Joanne, as we see this movement continue, and you've talked about some of the things that companies can do to support victims and to reprimand or punish accusers, what are some other things that corporate culture needs to adopt or change in order to really make a difference here? 
I think the whole focus on trying to train people to be more aware of what sexual harassment is and what it can do to affect a workplace is a really positive sign, but I don't think it goes far enough. I think people need to not only know what is inappropriate behavior, but they need to understand their responsibilities as bystanders. Because too often, this behavior goes on not for days, not for weeks, but for years. As our colleagues pointed out in this blockbuster story that just ran recently about Steve Wynn at Wynn Resorts, his sexual misconduct went on over decades. And yet, it rarely, if ever, came to light, only now. And so people need to be taught the importance of being a bystander who speaks up. And of course, we learned that from the Nazi era. At the end of the day, they came for me, that minister said. You've been listening to a special edition of Secrets of Wealthy Women. I'm Anne-Marie Fertoli in New York. Thanks for listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal. Host Veronica Dagger will return shortly with all new episodes and new guests. If you have a secret you'd like to share, please write podcasts at DowJones.com. Provide your first name and let us know where you're writing from. Again, that's podcasts at DowJones.com. The Secrets of Wealthy Women podcast from The Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.